0: Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to a Plants Good Talk. This is Garrett. I'm your host. This conversation took place on May 5th, 2023 with my very special guest, Monique Allen. Monique is an author, entrepreneur, professional landscaper, and yoga teacher. She's also a fantastic like-minded human being, plant-loving human being that I enjoyed getting to know today. You can find her at thegardencontinuum.com or thelifescapecoach.com. She authored a book called Stop Landscaping, Start Lifescaping. We talked about everything from spirituality to regenerative landscaping. I learned a lot about the regenerative landscaping. She did a great job breaking that down. She's a fantastic educator, and I really feel like we have a lot to learn from her. So I hope you guys enjoy. I really think you will. I want to take a moment to tell you guys about my sponsors. If you scroll down into the description of this episode... You will find links to Mezcala Nursery located in Long Beach, California. Green Touch Nursery located in Bellflower, California. Big shout out to plantly.io. You can type in plantly.io into your web browser or download the free Plantly app on Android or iOS. If you are interested in becoming a vendor... I have provided a link for you to do so down in the description of this episode. Real Mushrooms is a mushroom supplement company offering hot water extracts in both powder and capsule form. I have provided links to articles outlining all the wonderful health benefits of these mushrooms. If you're interested in making a purchase, you can use code Talk at checkout or use the link in the description of this episode and you will get 10% off. All future orders. Also be sure to check out the 25% off your first order. There is a special where you you can use my link, but you'll get 25% off your first order. I th- think if you sign up with Real Mushrooms. So I hope you guys enjoy. Here is Monique. Monique Allen, welcome to a plants good talk.
1: <laughs> Garrett, I am so happy to be here.
0: Feels I'm like it's been a bit too. of a
1: journey, right? A journey to get here.
0: <laughs> yeah, we had to overcome some obstacles on my part, but the suspense I told you the suspense was killing me. So it's good. Now we're here. <laughs> and i had more time to to do a little bit of research to you and get a little more familiar with your work so i'm really excited to have you here i think i think we're both very like minded and on a similar path so and i have a lot to learn from you and my awesome. listeners as well so
1: awesome awesome well i'm really happy to be here i love what you're doing i've been listening to lots of the episodes and it's been really cool to um to watch how you've been able to like just pull out like the real person like you just you have a gift for getting like the the real talk going, so so yeah, Thank good job. Thank you very
0: much, I appreciate yeah. that. So for my listeners that might not be familiar with you, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do and some of the credentials behind the work that you're doing too?
1: Absolutely, so Monique Allen, I own a company called The Garden Continuum. I founded the company in the year 2000. Um, my company is located in Massachusetts and we do um, design build, landscape design build and fine gardening. Um, the the undercurrent of that work is all uh, regenerative sustainable landscape so we are quite different from the landscape industry and um, <clears throat> I started in the industry in 1986 I was uh, just around 18 19 years old just turning 19 I guess that that fall I started in the late spring and um, and it was just, it was like a dumb luck thing, right? I was in college. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was definitely feeling pretty lost.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And a friend of mine was like, hey, you know, you're, you're strong. Why don't you, why don't you come out and work with us this weekend? We're mulching. Mm. Yeah. And I'm like, you're what? Like, <laughs> you're doing what? What are you asking me to do? <laughs> and... um you know, that, it's kind of like, you know, tasting chocolate for the first time. Like, I promise I didn't taste the mulch, but, <laughs> but the smell of it, the feel of it, the heat of it, like being in my hands, working my body, sweating, being out in the, the fresh air. Um, it was amazing for me. I didn't even know this existed, except as a kid, we used to go up to my parents' farm. Uh, my grandparents, excuse me, uh, they had a, a big track of land in the Allegheny Mountains And, um, I loved it there.
2: Mm. I
1: loved it. You know, they weren't actively farming. They were just up in the land. I think they thought that, you know, as they were older, they would end up farming. My uncle owns the land now. Mm. Um, and I always loved it. And I never put together owning land and like working the land. I never really put it together because nobody in my family was doing it. So when I was out there, it was like, I came alive. I touched the plants. I touched the earth. I touched the mulch. And it was like, it went right up through me and I couldn't get enough. And so that was the beginning as a teenager. And then, um, I just kept following the threads. I, um, I got an undergraduate, an associate's degree in business management. That was just a dumb degree. I didn't know what I was doing. It was just to maybe keep me off the streets, right? Mm. Um, But then I started, that's where I learned how to landscape. So when I transferred, I went to Northeastern University and I got a degree in entrepreneurship because I thought, okay, people get self-employed doing this. And my father was self-employed so it didn't seem like a weird thing. Mm -hmm. And then just before I finished, I was actively working because Northeastern has co-ops, you know, where you like, you go to school part of the time and you work part of the time. Okay. And my mentor at the time mentioned a graduate program that I could do. So I overlapped and started doing the graduate program at toward the end of my senior year. And I ended up getting a graduate certificate in landscape design. Mm. Um, and that was the beginning, right? So it just, it just kept, it just kept steamrolling from there. And Um, I started my corporation and I started a company, did that for nine years, and then I turned it into a corporation uh, because I got really strategic. You know, I got to a point where I was like, okay, how do I, how do I build this? Mm. And um, so now we have, um, we're a multimillion dollar company, uh, award winning. We've got 24, 25 employees and, um, and yeah, and I've been doing it for almost four decades.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Now, was it like an academic mentor that you had, or did you have any mentors along the way? Continued. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had
1: several. I've had several. So this was not an ac- academic mentor. So um, I met. So I did this little landscaping gig where I was, you know, mulching and doing very basic landscape things. And I told my mother that I was just like I, I was in heaven. Um, I'm I'm a you know youth trauma survivor, so. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, abuse in my family and uh uh and so I had a kind of wonky nervous system from from fear and um and so landscaping actually is an amazing working the land working with plants you know this it just calms the nervous system so uh, my mother saw that I was I was sort of coming down from this this you know I was a kid who had a lot of rage and um And so she told a couple of friends and um, an architect was working with a landscape designer and that's who I ended up landing with. And for two years, I worked with her. She's um, about maybe 13 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And she was a mentor in that she taught me about plants. She taught me how to see nature. Mm -hmm. Um, She would kind of anthropomorphize plants. Like she would say, oh, this one likes dry feet. And this one likes wet feet, you know. And this one is happiest when. And she would talk about them in this kind of anthropomorphized way.
2: Yeah. And
1: she gave them personalities. Yeah. And it was easy to fall in love with them. And um, and I learned a lot of plants from her. And um, I also learned a lot of what not to do. She's still a, a dear friend to this day. Um, not the best business person, and as uh, she would say it herself. Mm. um but a, like a gifted designer a gifted plants woman and mm. so I ended up going my own way because I was really going after the business but she really she taught me to love plants
0: I feel like architecture when it comes to landscaping plants would kind of be parallel right would it be you could have learned some really useful ways and how to design your landscape
1: yes I would say that um because I'm academically trained as a designer and I've done you know I've done a lot of work with um you know more amateur designers and then also landscape architects I would say that um the amateur designers I know they tend to design out of from feel like yeah. they like how it feels which is really good because that's the end goal the end goal is that you're trying to evoke a certain feeling or vibration yeah. um, from 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 people being in these, in these landscapes and then obviously do really good nature benefits, right? Mm. Uh, landscape designers do it beyond feel. They also do it really strategically. They actually know like the layers of design and what you look at first, second and third, how to mm. look at infrastructure, structure, and then enhancements in a certain pattern or certain way. Um, I find landscape architects tend to be very structural. So if you just take architecture and then you, Make it a little greener. Yeah. That's landscape architecture, and I find that there isn't a very strong connection in landscape architecture with plants. Their plant mm. palettes tend to be smaller, you mm. know, thinner plant palettes. They're looking for on uh, mass and repeatability and all of that, you know, which is fine. Um, but I I find that garden designers, academically trained garden designers, tend to have really broad palettes. Yeah, and it's nice when you're trying to build diversity and eco resilience. Um, and definitely nice when you're trying to um, apply regenerative practice. Um, okay. So they all sort of have their their niche.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, I could see how the landscape architecture won't feel as natural or as organic, and how the people coming from the gardening background have that stronger connection from plants and more artistic, perhaps.
1: Right. yeah Yeah, for sure and they're all valuable right because if you're a landscape architect and you're doing something more urban you know you've got like safety and security is um front and center um and like for an area like mine we have to think about drainage we have to think about snow loads and there's like all these things that have to be considered that take a little of the horticultural sexy out of it (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. whereas when you're doing residential you need all those things but you only need them in small measure. And then you can sort of deal into the, into sort of the juicier horticultural aspects that are just a little bit more fun and yummy.
0: So regenerative gardening or regenerative landscaping, rather, can you put that in layman's terms and describe like what what are some of the ins and outs of that? I'm not sure yeah. I completely understand it.
1: Okay, so um, so nature on its own is both generative and regenerative. So generative just basically means that you know, where it's growing, right. It's going from the seed to germination to, you know, sort of the, the juvenile to grown up to mature, right. So it's, it's following this line of succession, which is, which is natural from seed to old forest. Mm -hmm. Regenerative is when you have damage, when you have something kind of like knocks succession backwards. So like you have nature events like a flood or a hurricane or you know something an earthquake volcanoes whatever anything that would destroy the landscape and bring it back down the succession ladder Mm. so if you think of succession is going up like this something knocks it down and it wants to go back up Mm -hmm. that point of being knocked down to to starting up again you need a ton of momentum to to go back up right Mm. if you then take um human intervention or human damage. So just look at the construction industry. I, um, I clear cut, you know, 60 acres of forest and I put up a subdivision, you know, of 150 houses, Hmm. right. And roads and sewer systems and lighting and all of that. Each one of those houses has a yard each one of those yards is going to be degraded beyond belief. It's going to be driven over, compacted. The soil is probably very damaged. And so what happens is landscapers come in and they're asked to make things grow on this really damaged land. And so regenerative practice is going to start at the soil and it's going to start by trying to Rebuild the organic layer, rebuild the bio biological layer, all the whole soil food web, begin to rebuild that um, alleviate compaction, and then ideally draw back in the wildlife, right mm. so draw back in you know, if nothing else, just the pollinators well you've been you've driven around subdivisions, I'm sure, and you see these what I call deadscapes mm. like. They're plants that are shoved in the ground, sheared into squares and balls, um, trees that have, are half dead. <clears throat> and that's because those landscapes, these plants are actually injected into the land, but that land has nothing to hold them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So regenerative practice says that the only way you're going to create an environment is to start with the soil. And a good way to think about it is think about human health in order to have a really healthy human we need a really strong gut sure. we need to be able to digest food and eliminate waste those are the two main things because that's where all of our resources come mm-hmm. plants don't have a gut they have soil soil is the functional digestive tract for all plants mm. so we start all regenerative processes by healing the soil we all, we generally start all human regeneration by healing the gut yeah So the correlation is really beautiful and, um, and it takes patience, right? It's a long game. You don't go in there on Tuesday and come out on Friday and (laughs) everything's all fine.
0: Right. Well, that was a fantastic explanation. That was was fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) I I really appreciate that. So I imagine like creating the right, uh, environment for them can be a challenge and uh, you need like, what, like fungal, fungus, different types of fungus and, nutrients that you have to create to make it a healthy soil
1: yeah so if you think about um the succession of soil when you're at the when you're at very young soils it's bacterial Mm. and when you're at very old soil or old growth you're high fungal so Mm. you're looking at you know 100% bacteria no fungus or 100% fungus, no bacteria, that doesn't, we don't really have that. I mean, mm-hmm. we never really get to those ends. But um, meadows, like fields, grasslands, all of that, that's going to be very low, very high bacterial. And then as you move up into the woodier and woodier and woodier plants, you're moving into more and more and more of a fungal soil. And the reason for that is know like the fungal hyphae has to stay untouched right you don't you don't want to break all the fungal hyphae so the really big plants they just you know they're just there Mm. um so as a as a regenerative landscape developer we have to know what we're going for so if somebody comes in and clear cuts the woods and pulls all the stumps out and then tries to grow lawn Oftentimes what you'll find is that lawn will be yellowy or peaked, like it won't ever really do that well. It's Mm. because you're trying to grow a lawn in a fungal soil when it wants a higher bacterial soil.
2: Mm.
1: So the key is really to understand, like I know you do a lot with interior plants and you know a lot about succulents and and tropicals and like those kind of plants. When you're potting a tropical plant or let's say a cactus, you're not going to use the same soil strata, that you would with a pothos you just you just know that these plants like different homes
2: sure
1: and so it's the same thing outside except we can't have as much diversity as you can in the potted environment you know we have to have more mm, not homogenous is the wrong word but more stable like you can go from a, a bacterial more of a bacterial moderately fungal environments, and then slowly move into woods and it becomes more fungal as you get into the woods, but mm-hmm. it's over big spans of land.
0: So when you're doing this regenerative landscape, you're designing it to where it will feed itself and create its own nutrients.
1: Totally. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Because the landscape industry is predicated upon like the way the landscape industry financial model is. Um, is that you are going to be applying certain things every year at the same time of year, year after year.
2: Yeah. So
1: that's how you make money, right? So it's, you know, it's first Tuesday in April, got to fertilize, you know, the the third Thursday in April, got to mulch, you know, and we try to make it happen on a calendar. Mm -hmm. Uh, But really, if you were to go into a regenerative, more of a regenerative system, Nature is built to be self sufficient.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, the only thing we have to remember, though, is that the gardens we create are not natural, right? Yeah. The gardens we create are natural like. In other words, we're trying to create really nice uh, plant combinations, layouts. Uh, we're usually trying to do things that are very nice for human beings to be a part of. Sure um and we like a certain level of safety and view shed so remember what i said mother nature's trying to just forest everything especially in new england that's that's her goal in 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 an area of the country like new england Mm -hmm. so if i were to leave it alone and and i didn't mow my lawn my lawn would get longer and longer and then it would house like little baby pine trees and little baby oak trees and little baby you know and then it would become a forest so We have to weed, we have to edge, we have to mulch, we have to do these things, not because we're trying to squeeze money out of our clients, but because our clients are actually asking us to make a certain environment outside. And we want that environment to be as self-sufficient as possible so that we can use the lowest amount of inputs possible. Um, But there's no such thing as no maintenance, not in the constructed world, not in the ornamental landscape world, because- most people don't want to let it turn into a forest. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying.
0: (laughs) How much do you know about this soil crisis? I listened to Sad Guru. He's been kind of yelling it from the mountaintops uh, about, it's like we're running out of soil soon. Our our soil is pretty much dead when it comes to like uh, factory farming. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love Sad Guru. I just finished my, um, my Samba Mahamudra with him, so cool, which was really cool. I did his inner engineering program, which I highly recommend for anybody who wants to work on becoming a better human. Um, it's he's he, he's just, I just think he's beautiful, and he rides a motorcycle, so he's my hero. I just, I <laughs> he's just a got badass, a yeah. <laughs> I just got a Harley last month, and did so <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's it, Sadhguru rides a bike, I can ride a, a bike, I'm doing them. this, so um. But uh, yeah, so the soil crisis is real.
2: Uh
1: And um, basically what's happening is we're losing our O-horizon. And the O-horizon is the organic layer. So you have the O-horizon, then A, B, C, you know, it goes down. And um, when we strip farm, like when we're we're just, you know, doing this um, uh, monoculture uh, agriculture that also has Roundup Ready crops, Um, And then constantly putting Roundup on, on the corn and the soy and all these other things. What we're doing is literally murdering the biology in the soil. Mm. And you got to think about biology, like, like, you know, not to be gross, but you know, the biology is eating and pooping, right? It's just, Mm. it's just, it's coming in and it's going out. And what's going out is sticky. And the sticky is what keeps it together, And the sticky from one biological organism is the food for another biological organism. Mm -hmm. So it's this beautiful web. Um, Elaine Ingham has done amazing work uh, illustrating the the soil food web. And uh, there's a great book, Teeming with Microbes um, by Jeff Lowenfels, and she does the forward. And it really is about how there is more life under your feet in healthy soil than there is anywhere else on the planet, mm. the ocean included. Um, when we do this kind of farming, we're, we're murdering, you know, generations of biology. And so without that biology, uh, if there's major rain events, the, that soil can't hold water. So that's why you have mudslides. And if there's no water, uh, that's why you have dust storms. Um, and so there are so many huge tracts of land that are being farmed in this way and huge tracts of lands that have been abandoned that had been farmed that way. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what I'm doing is little tiny work, right? Like I'm one person who do, who does a few hundred homes and, um, There's only so much effect, which was why I wrote the book, right? It's why I wrote the book. It's why I'm on the podcast, because just like Sadhguru on micro level, the idea is to get the word out that everybody can do better by the choices they make in their own yard. And if we just do it one yard at a time, we will begin to rebuild the soil.
0: Mm, Yeah, well, we start by educating people. I'm becoming enlightened to a lot of this stuff, too. Uh, I'm really more of just like a hobbyist you know but I I want to transition into growing food and we're trying to get chickens and stuff like that I know there's this big movement right now of people kind of turning back to the land and going back to old ways and it's like lost knowledge It's a big disconnect there I didn't learn any of these things uh growing up you know maybe we had like a tomato garden or we grew just a little bit of veggies here and there but um yeah it's it's exciting I, I like to see it it makes me happy.
1: Yeah, it, it it's um I think it's in our DNA, yeah. you know, like I don't think primal. that yeah, it's primal. I think yeah. it's 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 in there like um and it it the time in history is so short where we've been separated from Sure. It. Yeah. Um so if we can get back to it and I love the fact that you know the younger generations are getting back into it. You know, they're yeah. they're less, you know, I'm a I'm I'm like the first Gen Z you know, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, ai am uh, am baby boomer adjacent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, so, you know, I have some, some mindset things, you know, which probably make me a good business owner, sure. um, you know, but, yeah. uh, but I think that the values that I've brought forward is, you know, in business building, um, it's like, for me, having a business that isn't triple bottom line focused is um, is missing the boat, right? So I feel like all businesses should be triple bottom line, which means first and foremost, what they do is good for the planet or neutral. It can't mm. be bad for the planet.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: second, it has to be good for the people or neutral, mm. you know? and then And then you want good profits, and you can be neutral because you could be a nonprofit. Sure. So <clears throat> that takes a lot of work because it means that every time you see something wildly profitable that you can do, you've got to look at it through the lens of the other two to make mm. sure that it doesn't have a negative impact. And that's what our big corporations are not doing. Yeah. And that's why we're in crisis.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I'd like to rewind a little bit and to how you started this business. Where where did where did your connection with plants first begin?
1: Hmm. So my mentor lens? was great. She she really got me to start looking at the world through the lens of plants.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember um like the first some of the first plants I bought. I bought an ornamental grass. I'll never forget it. Miscanthus zabrinus. Miscanthus mm. sinensis zabrinus. And it was called zebra grass. And I just thought it was the most exciting thing ever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next thing I got was a rose and a peony. And, um, and I just started to kind of fall in love with, just with the splendor of these plants and how different they were. Mm. Um, And, I, so I worked with her for about two years, then I freelance for about two or three years. And then I was in a really, really bad car accident.
2: Mm.
1: Very lucky that I walked away from it. And, um, I was laid up, uh, and for a little bit and, um, and I had a moment, you know, it's like that, you know, that verse in Psalms that says, you know, be still and know, I Uh, I think the verse is like, be still and know God. Right. But for me, it's like, I have it on my bracelet, you know, be still and know. Yes. And it forced me to be still. And because I was still, I thought, I love doing this. I really love doing this. Like I don't want to do anything else, but have my hands in the soil and play with plants. Mm -hmm. And so I, I dove in, I, um, I started a company called Second Nature. It was just a sole proprietorship. It was just me. And um, I got the name from Michael Pollan, one of Michael Pollan's books.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he wrote um, The Botany of Desire, which is an amazing, amazing book, um, a beautiful movie. They made it into a movie. Uh, do you know that one? I'm Botany. familiar
0: with Michael Pollan, but more in his, like, psychedelic stuff. Yeah, I, like so read... his
1: most recent work is the yeah. psilocybin, yeah. And his
0: food stuff that he did, that, that that documentary about the factory farming. and.
1: That was the omnivores, develop, uh, omnivores dilemma, right? I think, I think so, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Well, so early on, before, before, he wrote a book called Second Nature, uh-huh. which was about nature. And then he wrote a book called um, The Botany of Desire, which you mm. would probably love. Um, I bet your listeners would love it um, because it's about four botanicals uh, for horticultural um, plants that change the world, Mm
2: -hmm. that change
1: the economy. So it was the potato, the apple, the tulip and marijuana. Mm. And um, it's really, really beautiful the way he ties um, our, our need uh, of foodstuffs and our need of beauty and our need of medicine to Mm. the economy and to horticulture. Um, and that was a turning point for me because I really started to realize, um, kind of the, the power play that was nature and that we were missing it. Right. You know, all I could think about before that was like, I want to own a Porsche and live in the city. Like I, you know, um, so that was really big and I started that company and the reason why I did that company for nine years and I think when I turned it into a corporation I might have had eight or nine employees at that point. Mm. Um, and the reason why I turned it into corporation is because I'd gotten married three years before and I was pregnant. And I wanted a buffer between me my personal life and my business life and so I wanted the I wanted the corporate protections. Yeah. Um, so I turned it into a corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't did know you, if I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, I
0: did. You did great. Uh, did you, did you find, did you face any resistance in, in the early stages of starting your own business? Like were, the, oh, yeah. were you, were you, were you a fearful? I heard you say earlier that you were very fearful. How did you overcome some of the fear of the risk involved with that and like die, take that leap? Into that, yeah, that's
1: a great question. Like five Um, questions in
0: one,
1: yeah, five questions in one. It's a great question. How the heck did you stop being afraid? Um, so I think there were stages. So, initially, when I was just working, it was just a job and nobody questioned me. Um, I think being a woman, not many women were working outside, Mm -hmm. you know, this was the 80s. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got a lot of funny looks, but like, oh, you're kind of cool. You know, Uh, then I bought a pickup truck. I was riding a motorcycle. And so I think people knew that I was a little on the fringes anyway. um, and didn't question me all that much. But let me tell you, when I graduated college, if if I had a nickel for everyone who said, so when are you getting a real job? Yeah. Um, It was really disheartening. Yeah, I felt like nobody could see that what I was doing was a real job. It was hard work. It was grueling work. Um, my mother was a, a, just a rock star. She was so supportive. My dad, I think, was supportive of the idea that I wanted to be self-employed. My dad owned a commercial, commercial air conditioning and refrigeration company. He specialized. He was an immigrant from the middle east so i'm a first um generation syrian armenian and um my my dad was upset that i was not taking over his business Mm. you know he i was the firstborn and i was lucky to be a middle eastern firstborn and be treated as well as i was um my father always felt i was capable which was great um but he was brutal you know he was he was brutal um that cultural, so I think,
0: that cultural, traditional type of Middle Eastern father.
1: Cul- yeah, cultural, but also like my father's the youngest of four. His father died when he was 14. My father was mm. brutally beaten as a child. Um, So yeah. my brother and I were beaten as children. And, um, you know, my father wasn't a drunk that put cigars out on us. But if we ever did anything wrong, I mean, you got the shit beat out of you. It was awful. And... um you know so it was just it was hard and I think I think on some level I felt fearful in my own body yeah so when it came to something like starting a business that was like oh I can handle that fear
0: right right? I've been through so much
2: yeah
1: yeah And, and um but I think the thing that was mostly disheartening and I think it took me a whole decade to get past it was that people didn't respect what I did sure they like I was a dirt worker.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I couldn't go out for drinks after work unless I was going out for drinks with a bunch of landscapers. Because seriously, I would meet my friends at a bar and I, was, I had dirty knees, dirt under my fingernails. I probably had dirt smeared on my face, bugs crawling in my hair. Like, you know. Um, Especially and with back this hair, then, huh? It could be like a week with the bugs in my hair, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I think... I would say that the thing that got me through it is that I had a natural audacity. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think I dug into, to that audacity where it got a bit harder is when, um, I think where it got harder is, is when I realized that I didn't want to do it the way other people were doing it. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to follow the, the standard business model. Sure. And I got a lot of pushback. I got pushback, um, kind of all around, and like you can't do it that way. Don't That's draw a-
0: outside the lines.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was definitely <laughs> jumping out of the box. Keep people kept trying to put me back in it. I was coloring out of the lines. Tell them to tell me get, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but I, I can't. You know, I don't know, Garrett. Like I just wouldn't stop. I think it was something in me knew that I had to break the paradigm yes. that I was uncomfortable in myself. And I kept saying to myself, if I'm uncomfortable, other people must be uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. So I would say to anybody who was thinking about, and there's two, two sides to this, right? Like to be clear, not to get overly in this, but on, in the coaching side of my business, what I talk about a lot to people is that, It is very easy to start something through the heat of passion, that fire of passion. All right. You can forge anything with passion. Uh Right. But passion is hyper consumptive. Like it really will just consume, consume, consume. So you need a ton of resources to keep passion going. Yeah. So what happens is passion will not get you through the long haul.
0: It'll get you started though. (laughs)
1: it'll get you started it it will get you started Uh and it's awesome Uh but what you know a joke that I often you know will say is that you know if there's if 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 you want to if you want to kill your passion marry it or open a business doing it Mm. because passion will not get you through I'm I'm 25 years married passion will not get you to 25 years and it will not get you to What am I, 38 in the business?
2: Yeah.
1: It won't. It's a different energy source. You know, it's grit. It's resilience. It's being able to think out of the box. It's doing your own personal shadow work. It's looking fear in the face. It's having good mentors, listening to great podcasts. It's like never allowing isolation to come in and steal your thunder. because, And then what happens is then you nurture passion so that it can come in and give you a little shot of you a little know dose. little shot of spice and juice and uh-huh. you go and then passion goes away then 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 you get up and you wash the dishes you okay. know you weed you do the thing that's not so sexy yeah
0: well, um, i i love that you said that cuz it's something i needed to hear like i i started a business a couple years back and i was fresh out of beginning sober again and i had this very traumatic part of my life kind of fuel my, me wanting I had something to prove right and passion dwindled and it's kind of fallen down to the side and it's hard for me to to find that passion again it's hard for me mm-hmm. you know it's like I for me it takes something traumatic or 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 dramatic some uh, horrific experience it happens you know just that life it happens every few years and then once one of those things happens then that I'm lit back on fire again, and I'm diving back into it. But maintaining it has been a challenge, even when it comes to the podcast. This podcast came out of a very dark place, and uh, I'm not in as dark of a place anymore. And so it's hard for me to to stay motivated, you know?
1: Oh, that is I like you that know,
0: nurturing passion that you said,
1: yeah, yeah. And I love the fact that you can actually see that in yourself. Because okay. that's, that's a huge part of it. Like to just be able to see that's like, wait a second. So I see my cycle. I have to, you know, I have to face plant or walk into a wall or hit myself yeah. with a frying pan. <laughs> oh, now I can feel, yes. oh, there's the passion. And uh-huh. then, you know, and so I think, um, so I know for me, because I came out of a traumatic childhood environment. I continued to recreate the trauma as yes. I was growing up. So <laughs> yeah. I, would, I recreated the trauma in my 20s. Then I recreated the trauma in my 30s. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was probably in my, well, I had my second child. So I had my second child at 36. And I don't think it was till I was roughly 40 that I started to actually realize that I was playing a, a kind of a crazy pattern over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that you're seeing it now, it's like earlier than I was seeing it. Sure. Um, but I think that there's a couple of things that people can tap into. So first is being able to identify the fact that your passion is ignited through pain or some kind of a trauma. Yeah. Um, and then the. The next is really to notice um, where you start to flatline a little, like what is the resistance? Like, what's the resistance that you're noticing? What, what is it that you're resisting? And then I think that nurturing passion comes from allowing yourself really positive ways to recharge. So for me, it became yoga, Mm. Uh, before yoga. So I was a dancer that was really big. And then for a long time, it was bodybuilding. That was big. Um, that's how you raising children will make sure that you, you know, find your outlets. Yeah. But now for me, yoga really has been the piece, right? It's like, go back to the mat and get still reconnect with my breath. And then sort of remind myself, just like you just sort of remind yourself about those passions. You've got to bring them forward. So for you, it might be something like thinking about, the gift that you're giving this community by, by having this podcast, mm-hmm. who is the person who's just coming out of a recovery that needs to hear that they're not alone because you went through something similar and look at mm-hmm. what you're doing now, or hearing my story and hearing that, you know, being an abused child, you know, doesn't mean that I have to, you know, hide in the shadows. I can actually mm-hmm. be the employer of 25 people. Yeah. Um, so I think that nurturing of passion is important, but it's also deliberate.
2: Mm.
1: Um, and so whatever it is, like you might love to rollerblade, you might love to, you know, stand a paddleboard, like whatever it is, like, what's the thing that would allow you to keep going back to that stillness so that your brain has a moment to relax. And when your brain relaxes, your heart opens up and that's where passion lives. It doesn't live in your brain. Yeah.
0: So it sounds like taking a step back from whatever this business that you're focused on could be beneficial as well. And folk trying some of these other hobbies or things that you like to do things that you enjoy.
1: Yeah. Things that spark your heart. Right. So funny that I would own a landscape company. One of the things that really sparks my heart is growing food. Mm -hmm. So I can come home at the end of the day and I have this beautiful potager garden with, um, eight, you know, big, tall, raised box beds, you know, that are like six feet by eight or four by eight feet. Mm. Um, and that I can go there after work. Like sometimes I feel so beat up after work, right. I'm yeah. I'm just so beat up and I go there and I see that the, you know, the peas are, are, are doing their thing. And I pick peas and I'm eating them and I'm weeding and I, oh, there's a strawberry. And, you know, and it's mm. just like, this thing that just like, it makes me so happy. And so am I passionate about being an employer? No, but I'm reconnecting to feeling whole as a human being
2: Mm.
1: and knowing that I need to do that. I need to feel the freshness of that food. I need to sleep. Well, I need to hydrate. Well, I need to like, I, I have to be committed to those things and then know that I'm going to go back to being employer the employer the next day. Remind myself that triple bottom line includes people,
2: mm.
1: right? I can't have triple bottom line and hate my people. It doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> so yeah, you have to step back. You have to have things that are outside work, and I think the younger generation, certainly gen z but also mill- millennials are understanding that this work ethic that the generation x and baby boomers put out there is bullshit yeah it's bullshit you know like why do why does a landscape company have to work 55 60 hours a week yeah right it's ridiculous do you know that like this is the first year that i've actually constructed my company to only work 40 hours a week that's great Right. Like and 40 hours is still long. It's a lot. Right. That's long. Yeah. But the industry will tell you, you can't make it work without doing, you know, Monday through Saturday, 10 hours a day. Yeah. You know, 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, I said, yeah, hell to the no, I'm not working weekends. Mm -hmm. People told me you'll never make it. I told people I'm not working in the winter. I'm not doing it. I don't want to snowplow. I don't want to, they're like, you'll never make it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hello. You know, I'm, I've made it.
0: Yeah. 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 I would rather struggle working three to four days a week and have that extra time with my son and, and be able to come back to the land and be able to tend the land. than you know, have that extra little bit of comfort, you know, but uh yeah, I find I find my life to be a lot more fulfilling when I decided I didn't need to grind so much. And it might right. it might be like a little bit of a setback, but I feel like it's giving me the time to find uh what it is I truly want to do. And it's not work my ass off and it's not burning myself out. Cause I I burn out people I feel like you probably do too. Highly emotional, spiritual humans tend to burn out rather easily, right? From especially if if you're in contact with the public. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you, need, you need meaning you need meaning yeah. and your son will give you more meaning
2: yes.
1: than four hours more work right you know and 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 the time you have with your son at the age whatever how old is he now he's three he's three so like oh my gosh that's so precious and that right. is fleeting. and they change so much and i think one of the regrets that i have is that in the later years of my kid's life i wasn't around as much mm. in the early years i was really around i was i i built this building on my property so that i this used to be my company was in here oh, cool. um and i hired a nanny and um i you know i i had i you know i wanted to have my children at home i wanted to nurse for a really long time i always wanted to be available for my children and I was able to totally construct my business around being a mother. That's cool. And so it's like what you're doing. You're saying, I'd rather work fewer hours so that I have the maximum amount of hours that I can with my son. Yeah. And you know, the business coach in me would say, all right, so if you say you only want to work three days a week, then how do we maximize your revenue in that three days a week? So right. what I would do is I would go and I would do a forensic look at your business. And I would say, okay, based on what it is you're doing, the values you have within your business and the value that you give to your clientele, how do we maximize that so that we can have you, have you create more revenue in that period of time? And I will tell you every time, I can't even say nine times out of 10, I will tell you 10 times out of 10, you can make more money with that same time just by tightening up systems and clearing up like what it is you do, what's the value, and really setting that really strongly so that you feel sovereign and and like you have really strong agency, and then you make money, more money in the same amount of time.
0: Sure. Well, that's sure. like limiting distractions, especially for um, my generation, our generation too is like these these cell phones are a huge problem. They're a huge problem for me and for a lot of people I know. Uh, it, it's, it's a distraction to social media and I utilize social media to promote the podcast, to, to promote the business and stuff like that. But it, to some degree, it's very intrusive and I've had to like really look at that and how I utilize my time. Cause yeah, I feel like there were periods of time where I certainly could have been grinding more and, and had more earnings had I been more focused and it, it's, it's hard, it's addictive.
1: Yeah, I, um, You know, it's funny because I didn't grow up with cell phones. So I don't have the same, I don't have the same sense, but I will say that I know that my productivity, like we, the way the human brain works, we're not able, so grinding isn't good, right? Because think about grinding gears, right? You wear them out. Yeah. So you might have certain times of the day where you're productive or certain Um, spans of time where you're productive. So most people can be highly productive in 30, 60, or 90 minutes. But as you go past 90 minutes, your productivity is going to start to drop off.
2: Mm. So
1: the saying is like for every eight hour day, maybe you get five hours of work.
2: Yeah.
1: So if you could break up your, especially if you're self-employed and you don't have employees and you don't have like a very structured environment, Could you figure out ways where instead of working three days a week, you might work seven days a week, but you work in in ninety-minute stretches
0: in those peak hours.
1: In those peak hours, and you end up doing you know ninety minutes every day from nine to eleven thirty because you're you like kick ass during that time, Mm. and then on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays you do like a twelve thirty to two. And then two days a week, whatever day it is, you do a 530 to seven because it just works for you. Yeah. And you, you time block your calendar. And this is so weird, right? Because this is not how we work. We work nine to five. Right. Um, and then what you find is you don't have distractions because if you feel like doing candy crush for a half an hour. You can not during your 90 minute work block.
0: Yeah, totally. That's very helpful. I like that. Thank you.
1: And you just play, right? You've got to play with it. You've got right. to give yourself get to know yourself,
0: of what works best for you.
1: Totally.
0: Everyone's is going to be different.
2: Right. Yeah. Yep. Cool.
0: So tell me about this book. Stop landscaping and start lifescaping.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Let's hear about it. Okay. So um, so the I uh I started my business during a, a recession. And then I uh, lived through the Great Recession. The business made it through. Mm. Um, and after the Great Recession, um, we our, my business dropped by like 40%. Mm. And I was really surprised by that. And I didn't understand why it happened. Like, how did I not know that this was going to happen? And so I had to rebuild my business. I had to figure out, how to rebuild my business and I didn't want to rebuild it the same way. I didn't like the life I was living and I wanted to create more of a lifestyle business. And, um, so I was seeing two things in my field that I hated. One was you and I, I don't know if we were on air when we talked about this, we might've talked about it before, but deadscaping, mm-hmm. you know, where there's all these like dead plants everywhere. Um, and, or the, or it's just like not thriving, doesn't feel vibrant, yeah. and on the other side because of you know all the big box stores and all the hd tvs and diy networks and all of that um the other thing i was seeing was scaping. it was like one feature on top of another feature and it was um i just hated it and i thought the gosh there's got to be another way And Lifescaping just came to me. And I don't think I made up the term. I think there's companies called that. There's probably a nutritional supplement called that or whatever, but, but Lifescaping was like, oh, well, let's think about life at the center.
2: Mm.
1: And then I needed to, so I changed the, so my company is the Garden Continuum. Mm -hmm. And I always say that that continuum is very much what goes around, comes around, right? It's Mm. just, just going around and going around. And the, um, had the byline or was um, landscapes for all seasons, and so mm-hmm. I changed to lifescapes for all seasons. And then we put little stickers on the vehicles that say "Treat yourself to a life changing landscape."
2: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: And so I basically, because I landscape obviously every day, um, but the idea was to look at why we're doing what we're doing to think about everything we're doing based on systems and not products. And if we were going to be thinking about it from a systemic standpoint, then we had to think about, okay, well, how would any project start? How would any business start? How would any life start? Well, it starts with a dream. And so I go through this dream sequence, how do you tap into dreams? From dreams how do you tap into vision? From vision how do you tap into plan? From plan how do you tap into design? Then once you've designed, how do you estimate? And then once you estimate, how do you build? Mm-hmm. And then once you've built something, how do you take care of it?
2: Mm-hmm. So I
1: basically just went through the life cycle of landscape development. Yeah. And talked through my method and the lifescape method was born. And then realize that this was the exact same way you build a business and it's the exact same way you build a life. And that's yeah. how the lifescape coach was born. And so really it's like, what is your dream? Like what's fuel in your dream? What's that passion? You know, and then working that dream into vision. You're sort of manifesting it. It's like a it's like a manual for manifesting. Like you pull it from the dream down into the vision, it gets a little bit more concrete down into a, a plan it's a little bit stronger into a full-blown design into a built build strategy and then you build it right so this is how we manifest something out of our imagination
0: yes I love that so you were able to apply what you saw in creating your business and and at, at the same time you' you're you were building your life what, yeah is that does that sound accurate. Yeah.
1: Totally. So, so what it, what, what, in hindsight, I realized that what I had done was life scaped my life.
0: Right. Through landscaping,
1: (laughs) through landscaping, right. Through landscaping, (laughs) I built a lifestyle business. I have, I live on two and a half acres. Um, Mm -hmm. I had my whole company here today and I did a training with them Cinco de Mayo. So, you know, we have to play on Cinco de Mayo. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm blessed I'm, and landscaping was my vehicle. It was my revenue vehicle. Yeah. Um, so anybody who is dreaming about working the land in some way, shape or form, just work your dream, like work your dream through to the vision, through to the plan, through to the design, through like, you have to do the work to pull it out of the, the that soup of the dream so yeah. that it becomes manifest. Um, true for a business, true for a life, for a family, yeah. true for a garden.
0: Yeah. I heard you say like a, a lot of people are waiting on a miracle. When I listened to some, something along those lines, one of the other episodes you were on. And I yep. I feel like that rings true. Uh, a lot of us just get caught up in the dream and the idea, and then we don't want to do the work, you know, pull the trigger to make it happen. And yep. uh, that's kind of where I get stuck is somewhere in that dreamland. Yeah. And, then I, or, and I just want it to happen because sometimes it does. Sometimes things do just happen, and, yep. and it works out, right? Uh, but still, maintaining it is is probably similar uh, as the past. Like if it, if it happened before you had really done the work, then you still have to do that work in order to maintain it, right?
1: It, it absolutely and and you know you would ask me before um, about like you know is there a spiritual thread in there? And yeah. um, I've been. teaching yoga now but i was studying um really intently started about five years ago and but i had been doing yoga my whole life because my mother was a yogi um Mm. and she was an ayurvedic practitioner before she passed but um this idea of creation we talk a lot about creation energy we love creation energy right we love the creation story We love all the influencers on Instagram and, you know, how to make a million dollars in a weekend. And it's like, you know, it's all this creation, 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 and it's all up here. Um, But there are two other aspects to to that truth. So there's creation, there's sustaining. So it's creation energy, then there's sustaining energy, Mm. and then there's destruction energy, we hate destruction. We hate it. We don't want to talk about that. We never want to talk about death. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to talk about um you know, we hate it when we hear about cutting down trees or, you know, it's like we we're afraid of destruction. Sure. We have to equally honor each one of these energies. So creation energy is fabulous, but creation energy alone actually consumes all the resources because creation energy is very, very hot fire. Mm. We have to cultivate the sustaining energy, and we have to know when it's time to destroy, mm. when it's time to be finished. And if you look at the sort of, a, like the God pantheon of, you know in 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 India, and I might get this wrong. So anyone who is of the, you know Hindu or Indian culture, just forgive me if I get this a little bit wrong. <laughs> but but you know, you have um you have Brahma who's you know he's the creator and you have his consort is Saraswati you know she's the beauty all the beauty um and creation and beauty it makes sense right they go together mm. you know the 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 power of creation and the beauty of song like these are the things that you know kind of create that beautiful energy yeah and yeah. then um and then I'll just gonna jump over sustaining for a minute because that's the part everybody really struggles with. If you go to destruction, you have you have um, Shiva and Shakti, Mm -hmm. right? So that you know you see that a lot, like on Instagram, like a lot of yogis love talk about Shiva and Shakti. So Shiva is the the male consciousness energy, and Shakti is you know dancing on him. But you know they there's a lot of destruction and power, you know, kind of going on in there.
2: Yeah.
1: But in the center is Vishnu and Lakshmi, and the, the sustainer energy, right? The preserver of the world, that's the biggest energy. Mm. And the energy that's with it is abundance. Mm. Abundance hangs out with sustaining energy,
2: sure.
1: so the so think about it. You can make the most gorgeous car ever. But if you have no idea how to maintain it, you need a mechanic, yeah, right. Yeah. And you're not going to offshore mechanics. You're not going to offshore the gardeners. You're gonna, you, you, know, you, you can try to offshore all of the food production, but then we have Sadhguru's you know, issue. We're murdering the land. Sure. But if we could all bring that sustainer energy into our own homes, into our own businesses, if we could empower ourselves to be sustainers and maintainers, this is how we attract money. This mm-hmm. is how we attract the energy of abundance. Yes. So it's it's a beautiful story. And maybe I have it partly wrong. It 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 shores me up yeah. when I think that uh the bulk of my income has been gardening. Yeah. The bulk of my gardening is weeding.
0: That's beautiful. The abundance mindset is great. And it's something I try to focus on. And I love that you brought up Shiva. I love that you brought up the Psalms earlier. Like I have a, a book of Psalms that I will, and it has like somebody broke down the Psalms and described 300 ways you can utilize the Psalms in your life, right? And so I believe strongly in using candles as part of an altar as part of my spiritual practice. And mm-hmm. so I'm writing down uh, verses of the Psalms and, and putting them coordinated with certain colors of candles and, and trying to to find, get things like money and abundance and all, all these different things that I'm struggling with, what have you. Um but, and then Shiva has also been a big part of my spiritual journey too, because I saw her in two different, uh, spiritual journeys with medicine. And I kept seeing her. She kept reappearing. and uh, I I wasn't quite sure of the meaning. I'm sure I Googled it and, but I feel a strong connection to Shiva. So, so
1: Shiva, Shiva's the man and Shakti's the woman.
0: The eight so arm. Oh, he okay. Him. Yeah. So him, you were seeing him.
1: You were seeing him. Yeah. Him. Seeing eight him, arms. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's
0: cool that you brought those up.
1: Yeah. It, it's neat stuff. You know, I think, yeah. um, I think you could study it and certainly there are scholars out there that have studied all this, you know, for a lifetime and know way more than me. Who's, you know, studied it for a blip in time. But oh, okay. I do think those kinds of things that anchor you in like, if you, you're doing this exercise that you're doing with the Psalms, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not about being Christian. It's not about being Hindu. It's about, something that is steeped actually in passion
2: Mm. you know
1: it's steeped in condensed flavor condensed energy and we need that because so much of our life can feel really mundane I got to go to work I got to come back for work I got to go grocery shopping I got to do my laundry like it just doesn't feel you know and then you do this project to really understand the psalms and see if you can work it into color, work it into scent, work it into motivations that, that you know, and inspirations at your altar. Like those are the kinds of things when we were talking about like nurturing passion, mm. those are the kinds of things we bring to the altar. Those are the kinds of things that we bring to whatever way we want to express our spirituality because I actually just did a, I just did a video on my Instagram about this. It's like, we have to feel into what's next,
2: mm.
1: not think it. Yes, right? Like, yes, we're gonna have thoughts, but you want to lead, you want to chest lead, not forehead lead. Mm. you know, and and you want to be more heart mind. Yeah. And if we can get into our hearts and we can really start to feel, then we're able to break the blocks that make us feel dead so we're not feeling passion, or break through the blocks that make us feel a little devoid of will yeah um but it takes practice
0: yeah you're right i feel like that is that is hard work is when i'm reading the psalms and when i'm reciting them out loud when i find a verse that i like i i'm feeling it and then it's a lot of it's like spoken in the present tense um you know like that you will say like whatever he doeth shall prosper i guess that's kind of in the in the future tense but um uh, he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water I just love that it's like when I try to to manifest something, I speak on it or I write on it as if it's already happening and in Mm -hmm. the present. And yeah, you really can feel that in your heart when you're focused on that kind of energy. It's been really helpful for me. It's a relatively new thing. In the last couple of years, I've been more exploring into those kinds of things.
1: I love that. I love that. I have just started doing yoga Nidra. I'm actually finally starting to teach it. Have you Mm. heard of yoga Nidra? Not familiar. So it's really cool. So in yoga, the, when you're doing yoga asanas or like postures, you, you generally start with like a breathing exercise and maybe a chant or something. Um, and then you start like in child's pose or you start like, it, it's kind of like the evolution of a whole lifetime mm. in one, you know, 90 minute practice or 75 minute practice. So you start in like the child's pose and you build and you get bigger and you build the fire and then you start to work your way down and then you end in savasana, which is the corpse pose. Yeah. So you end up, you know, lying on your back like this cool. and Usually, in like gym yoga, you don't have much savasana, maybe two minutes. But in yoga nidra, or um, like I teach a master class, you do the yoga asana to get your blood moving and to get all the angst and everything out of your body. Then you lie down for a half an hour
2: Whoa. and
1: you are guided through. Um, so, I will guide you in, in, entirely through a journey through your body, through a body scan. And when you begin, you do something called a Sankalpa. You, you have a Sankalpa in your mind. And the Sankalpa is, um, it's born of the heart bound by time. And so it's like, what is the thing? What is the, what is the feeling or the thing or the embodiment that you want? So it might be, you know, I'm a blessing to everyone in my life. You know, I'm a blessing to my son. Um, I am, I am abundant and fruitful for the people in my life, right? It's, I am, it's positive. There's it's that short. present tense. Yep. Present yeah. tense. Just like you said, yeah. born of the heart, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's not, you know, I'm, I have a Porsche, even though I would love to have one, but it's not, <laughs> not usually what i say. Um, I don't know why I want a Porsche. I just want one, right. I want to have the Harley, maybe someday I'll have a Porsche. I don't know, but goofy things, but then you do your whole Nidra. You go through this whole journey. And at the end you recall your Sankalpa. Mm. And the idea is that you're sort of implanting this, this, manifest desire this desire Mm. of embodiment in in the practice and you might work with the same exact sankalpa for 40 days you know Mm. as an austerity um and it's it's really cool and the the thing that is really cool about it is that for like every hour or of nidra that you do it's like getting something like three or four hours of sleep because you Go into this different brainwave state, which is like sleep. That's similar to like sound it.
0: baths. Yeah, sound baths yeah. is there. You get the equivalent of some kind of rest, some kind of deep yeah. rest. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So, do you teach these classes, these types of things uh, only in person, or?
1: I only do, yeah, I only do them yeah. in person.
0: Oh, no, it's more, yeah. it's probably something that needs to be done in person.
1: Oh, uh, you do it i mean uh if there's um there's like the mind body app that i use and there's many many yoga nidra teachers i think the the key with um and it's nidra or nidra i'm not really sure the right way to say it It might be nidra but the key for me is like the voice has to like get me
0: Mm.
1: like if it's a voice connected to the twitch
0: yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, i struggle with that too sometimes meditative whoever's guiding
2: right yeah yeah Yeah.
0: well this has been a fantastic conversation i've really enjoyed it we flew through we're like an hour 12 minutes and
1: uh yeah you killed it
0: thank you very much
1: thank you so much garrett for having me i i love your podcast i've enjoyed it i'm really honored to to be a guest
0: yeah i'm glad we finally got to do this and i'm it's kind of getting the kicking the dust off of me because i really want to not just the dust the rust I'm trying to really dive back in and and do this uh more consistently. So I'm glad that we you you were the kind of the kickstart of that. And uh oh, where it. can everyone find you?
1: Yeah, so um the best place to find me is uh either my website, which mm-hmm. is thelifescapecoach.com. Okay. Um or my Instagram, monique.allen. Okay. And uh both of those will, you know, you'll you you won't be able to Miss the Garden Continuum. You know we've got a Garden Continuum website and, and Instagram. But to find me, the lifescape Coach and Monique Allen on Instagram.
0: Great. I will plug both of those in the description. And uh yeah, uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. I think I, I would think love to, Garrett. All yeah. Right, cool.
1: I would All right. love to. Thank you,
0: mm-hmm. Monique Allen. Everyone, if you could please like, review, and subscribe to the podcast and hit that share button, we would both appreciate that greatly. Thank you.